going verse by verse, still going verse by verse in the Gospel of John. And I'm going to get into some really interesting stuff today, Lord willing. Uh, John chapter 1, starting in verse 50. Now let's go back to verse 49. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. The reason I read 49 is because 50 will not make sense unless you read 49. So verse 50 says this, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see, what are the next two words? Greater things than these. Uh, those of you that have been saved for a while, hasn't it been awesome to watch God work in your life? And, and isn't, it, isn't it interesting that when you, you took one step in the right direction, God showed you more, and then you took another step and He showed you more? And, and I don't mean to pick on anybody, but I, I, I'll just pick on my deacon, James, and his wife, Miss Debbie. Uh, if uh, 10 plus years ago, when you guys came to the doors of our church, someone told you to be serving as deacon and, and all that kind of stuff, I have a feeling, and, and, and all the things you'd be involved in, I have a feeling you'd be like, I'm out of here, peace, no thanks. Because God doesn't show you everything at once, He shows you little by little. Uh, he responds to you based on your response to Him. Look at verse 51. And He said to him, Verily, verily, I say to you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What is that talking about? We're going to get into that. Uh, chapter 2, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Let's go ahead and go, Lord, in prayer and ask for his blessing as we get into the study. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to open up the bread of life. And God, we ask that you would uh, fill me with the Spirit of God, fill the people that are here uh, listening uh, with that same spirit. God, I pray if there's anybody here that isn't saved, that today would be the day of their salvation. And Lord, I, I pray for every Christian to be stirred and enlightened. And God, as we approach your words, uh, we will say the same thing that David said, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that we have your perfect words in our language that we can study and, and learn. Uh, Lord, not just uh, 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 theology and lofty ideas, but Lord, how intricately involved you are in our lives. We love you and we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, let, let me just say this. Uh, uh, revelation with God is progressive. I mentioned that last week. Uh, I want to give you some examples of that. Uh, look, if you would, at Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. Say, so what do you mean by revelation is progressive? God doesn't show everything at one time. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know how I know that? Because he gave us 66 books. In the beginning doesn't tell you, uh, even so come Lord Jesus. Amen. Does it? No, it doesn't. It starts with in the beginning and by the end it's even so come Lord Jesus. And so what the Lord does throughout the Bible is he reveals things slowly. Uh, Isaiah 28, let me give you this uh, little nugget to chew on. Um, when the Lord uh, uh, is about to go back up to heaven, his disciples are asking about the kingdom. Will the kingdom be restored now? And he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, right? You know what that shows me? They're asking about a certain element, and they're not even sure what the church is all about. You know what the Lord does throughout the book of Acts? He slowly reveals his plan to the early church about the church. Uh, you say, why does that matter in my life? Well, because of this. If you don't respond to the little bit of truth that God gives you, he's not going to give you more. Right. You've got to respond the right way to that truth. Uh, look at Isaiah 28. Look, if you would, at verse... Uh, number nine, whom shall he teach knowledge? 
Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Now, you may go, well, what, is, what does this apply to my life? Over in the New Testament, the Bible says, Peter being the author, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word. You should desire the milk of the word. And then once you get the milk, you should get to the bread and eventually get to the meat of the word of God. And the idea is, look, if you can respond to the truth I'm giving you now, then you're ready for a little bit more. And then after that, you're ready for a little bit more. Uh, look at uh, a verse number 10. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line. Line upon line, here a little and there a little. That's why learning the Bible verse by verse is so important. Uh, look at Acts 19 for another example of this. When I say, uh, do you have the Holy Spirit uh, today? That means, are you a born again Christian? All right. So either you, the Bible says he that hath not the spirit of God is none of his. Either you have him or you don't. First John 513 says he that hath the son hath life and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. You either have the son of God and by having the son of God, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit or you're not saved. There's no in between there. All right. There's no like I get saved and I'm like, where's the spirit? Where's the spirit? Spirit, come on down. That's not how it works. The moment you get saved, you get the spirit of God. All right. Now, now, you know that from all of Paul's writings, you understand you are sealed with the spirit of God until the day of redemption. Ephesians four, verse 30. Thank God for that. Here's a word we use oftentimes. That means you are eternally secure. OK, that means you cannot lose your salvation because he is there sealing you until the day of redemption. You say, what's the day of redemption? Well, that day is the rapture. All right, the Bible talks about that, and that's called the, the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, look, you cannot conflate or confuse the rapture and the second advent. They are different. They're not the same. When you conflate them, you make a mess of your Bible. And what you end up doing is you, th- you throw the church in the tribulation, oftentimes what you end up doing, because you don't rightly divide. Now, having said that, I want you to understand that as it relates to what you're going to read in Acts 19, uh, here's a guy who doesn't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. Now, how is that in the book of Acts, someone doesn't know anything about the Holy Spirit? Uh, look at Acts 19. Go there with me if you would. And uh, look, if you would, at verse number 2. Acts 19 and verse number 2. He said to them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Now, who's talking? Now, this is, this is a, a reference uh, to Paul talking to a man named Apollos. All right. And so here's this guy, Apollos, and Paul approaches him and says, hey, have you received the Holy Ghost? And look what he says. And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. How is that? Why is that? Well, if you remember correctly, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples. That's a private conversation. You guys remember this? Over in John chapter uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, there are two parties that are listening to Jesus Christ in, that, in those four chapters. You've got God the Father hearing his prayer, and you've got his disciples that he's talking to. And in that passage, he tells his disciples that I will send my spirit. He is with you, but he shall be in you. Remember that? All right. So again, these are things that are slowly being revealed to the disciples as they respond to the truth that the Lord has given them. So here's a guy named Apollos, and and he responded to the truth that was given him. Well, what was the truth that he was presented with? Look at verse 3. And he said to them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. In other words, the last thing this guy ever heard was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he heard that over here, all right, 
before the ministry of Jesus Christ. All right? So what does that mean? Well, let's just say, for example, you, here's the problem. You, you tend to think in your, in your, when you read the Bible that everyone heard everything at the same time. That's not how it went. All right, God revealed truth to certain people. They responded to that truth the right way. Then they took that truth to others, and it was up to them whether they would respond the right way as well. Here's a man that heard before the ministry of Jesus Christ about John's baptism. You say, what was John's message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get ready for your Messiah. Get ready for your Messiah. Get ready. That was the message. And if, if someone responded the right way, I believe this, I believe they would have been presented with the opportunity at some point to hear the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's a man that heard of John's baptism, and that's where he kind of stopped. Well, let me ask you this. Was the Holy Ghost given at John's baptism? No, not a trick question. I promise it wasn't. All right. Uh, look, the Holy Ghost wasn't given until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first fruits right there. Uh, uh, it wasn't until after that. You say, what is, why does that matter? This is when the New Testament begins. So this guy is still in the Old Testament. This guy's understanding is still Old Testament. He doesn't know about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He, does not, he doesn't know about the, the fact that you're eternally secure. He doesn't understand all the, the mysteries of the church. He's over here. You know what someone has to do? Someone has to catch him up. You know that's your job in life sometimes is to help people get caught up. There are some people that don't know everything that you know, and your job is to help them. So look at what Paul does over here. Look at uh, verse number... Uh, five, when they heard this, I'm sorry, verse four, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, the people of who? The people of Israel, that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now, I don't want to get off on another uh, tangent here, but let me just say this right now. Them speaking in tongues was not like blabbering. It was unknown languages. Acts chapter 2 tells us that. We don't have time to study all of that. Uh, we've been through that ad nauseum a number of times. Maybe we'll do it again, but not now. Uh, but I want you to notice something. They had to respond to the truth that was presented to them at that point in time. They couldn't just live in the truth that they had back there and go, I'm good. Does that make sense? When you first get saved, you're not going to learn everything about the Bible the moment you get saved. Your job is when truth is presented and you get taught something in church, if it's biblical, to take it and go, okay, that's the word of God. I'll give you an example. Um, and I know this is a, a hot topic today for a lot of Christians. Is it okay to drink? Is it not? What does the Bible say about that? Well, if the Bible said that it wasn't okay, how would you respond to that? Right. Jesus turned the water into wine. Well, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, trust me. But, but people, you know, oftentimes what I learn about people is this. You'll cling to the one truth you had from years ago because you're afraid of embracing the truth that God's trying to give you now. Truth never changes. God just doesn't give it all to you at one time. You couldn't handle it if God gave it all to you at one time. Do you understand? That's why we have discipleship at our church. When someone gets saved, we don't just say, good luck. Glad you got saved. All right. Well, you know, you know, let us know how it goes. We we say, hey, come to church, get in your Bible. There's a class you can get plugged into to learn more about the word of God, to learn foundational doctrine. So you get grounded without that. You just kind of waver. You get tossed to and fro, as the Bible says in Ephesians. All right. So your job is this. When I hear truth, if it's from the word of God, I change course. I adapt to the word of God. I don't ask God 
to adapt to me. Does that make sense? All right, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And look, if you would, at verse number 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 12. That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Now, there, there's a, a lot of confusion today. I, I, this wasn't in my notes, but I just feel inclined to say this. There's a lot of confusion today between your stand and your state. What I mean by that is this. There are some people that would say this. If you're not living right, then you're not saved. You ever heard that before? Yeah. How about this one? If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Well, what a bunch of poop. I mean, come on, guys. Is Jesus Christ Lord of every angle of your life 100% of the time, 24-7? Absolutely not. You know how I know? You still sin. Be, be on it. Look in the mirror and go, I still sin. All right? We all do. All right? So he can't be Lord of all if you are still sinning. You understand that? So, so the reality is this. This can't be right. People say, well, if you're not living right, you're not saved. Then other folks go, it doesn't matter how you live. You know what? It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter. Nothing, nothing really matters because God loves you because you're a child. But look, you'll never lose your salvation because of your stand. But to go to the extent to say it doesn't matter how you live because you are saved, that's foolishness. He just told you to walk worthy of him. You say, well, I am worthy. I'm accepted in the beloved. You're, you, listen, your soul is, but you still dwell in a body of clay. You still dwell in this fleshly body that has to be submitted to God so you can say, Lord, I'm walking with you. Does this make sense? So, so look, you need to balance these two things out and go, look, because of this, I'll never lose my salvation. But this can be a mess from day to day and from moment to moment, and I've got to get this in line with this. Because of where I stand in Christ, I should walk in light of that. Does that make sense? So that's what Paul is talking about. Now look at verse number 13. Uh, this is kind of what I want you to look at. Look at verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us. I mentioned this last week. God is going to use human instruments to give you truth. And God wants to use you as a human instrument to give others truth as well. The Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher? All right, so it's your job to be the human instrument that God uses if you're a born-again child of God to give truth to other people. Now, sometimes what they're going to say is, well, that's just man's opinion. That's just man's word. Do you know when you get all of God that you're going to get in your life? When you quit saying things like that and you start saying, if God said it, then I believe it. That's it. Uh, look what it says here. When you, you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which what? effectually worketh also in you to believe. If you want the word of God to work in your life, you need to cancel out of your vocabulary. Well, that's just their opinion. If it's in the Bible, let me give you the story to illustrate this. Years ago, uh, I had a family member reach out and go, hey, what do you think about this decision I'm going to make? I won't go into the particulars of that decision. They just, I'll just say this. It wasn't the right decision. It was a bad move. And I said, look, here's what the Bible says. And, they, and I literally copied and pasted verses. I didn't write anything. I just copied them. Here's what the Bible says about that. Boom. You know what their response was? That's your opinion. I said nothing. I literally copied and pasted, and yet you said that's my opinion. You know what that means? Your heart isn't in the right place, and you don't want to receive the truth that God's given you. 
And so as a Christian, the challenge you're going to have in the Christian life is when you're confronted with truth that you don't like, what are you going to do with it? You know what the Lord told Nathaniel? Hey, if you're willing to confess that I'm the son of God and, and I'm the king of Israel, and, and all because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, man, you're going to see greater things than these. In other words, if you're willing to submit to the truth that God's given you, God will show you, listen to me, greater things. Now, the illustration that he gives is this. You're going to see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Remember that? Uh, look, if you would, at Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Now, um, I was talking with Brother Haffey about this. Uh, the first time I ever read that verse, I thought about the Garden of Eden, or not the Garden of Eden, excuse me, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying and the angels ministered unto him. Remember that? Uh, now, some would say maybe that's what it is, but the more I thought about it, I don't think that's it because he, he says this, you're going to see heaven opened. Over in the garden, does it say anything about heaven opening? Over there in the gospel where it talks about Jesus praying? Not, not necessarily. It just says the angels ministered unto him. There's something particular about that wording because when the heavens open, it's God's way of revealing himself to mankind. Uh, remember over in Revelation, uh, Romans chapter 1, he says... Uh, even the heavens, right? Uh, the, the, talk about, talking about creation and how man can look at creation and see the handiwork of God. Over in Psalms, talk about the heaven declaring, right? God's work, God's handiwork. So when the heavens open up, God is about to reveal himself to mankind. Well, there are some places where the heavens open up in the gospel. Over there in the baptism of uh, Jesus getting baptized, but it doesn't say in that place, it doesn't mention the angels. Over in the garden of Gethsemane, the angels minister to him, but the heavens don't open up. So where do you see both of those taking place? Uh, look at Matthew 25. And again, keep in mind, the church experiences the rapture. Israel is awaiting, the nation of Israel will be the ones awaiting the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. All right, look at uh, Matthew 25. You are not going to be on the earth going through the tribulation waiting for him to come back. Now, if you are, you're in trouble. <laughs> You, you missed your ticket out of here in this age. Uh, and I'll tell you what, this is the easiest time to get saved. You know that? Yeah. It costs you nothing. You believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior plus nothing. I'm, I would rather take my odds and chances right now of getting saved than to go, you know what, I'll reject Christ and hope that I can get it right in the tribulation. It's going to be a lot harder during the tribulation. Uh, look at Matthew 25 and look at verse number 31. I want you to notice something. Over and over in the Gospels, when it talks about Jesus Christ coming back, not in the rapture, but in the second coming. How do I know this is the second coming? The chapter prior to it talks about the Great Tribulation and Israel going through that Great Tribulation. It does not mention the church. It mentions Israel, it mentions Judea, and it mentions a time of Great Tribulation and the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place and all that stuff, Matthew 24. So Matthew 25 is after that. This isn't hard a concept. 25 comes after 24, amen? And, and so, and right after the tribulation, he talks about the coming of the Son of Man. I got a challenge for you. Try to find the term Son of Man in any of Paul's writings. You know what you're going to find? They're not there. You know why that's important? Because the letters to the churches are the ones that Paul wrote to us for us to have church age doctrine. The term Son of Man is a Jewish term referring to the Old Testament uh, prophecies about the Messiah. So here the Messiah is speaking to them in the flesh. And look what he says in verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the what? All the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. 
All right, look if you would at uh, Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter number 9. So when he says, uh, you're going to see this, he doesn't tell him when he's going to see it. Did you notice that? He just says, hereafter, you're going to see it. You know, that shows me Jesus Christ knows something about Nathaniel. Uh, he knows that Nathaniel is going to respond to the truth that's given to him over and over and over and over. And uh, we, we didn't uh, uh, look at this today, but I'll tell you, uh, over there at the end of the Gospel of John, I think it's chapter 20, Nathaniel is specifically mentioned by name as being one of the disciples that's there after the resurrection that's assembled together with the disciples. So Nathaniel makes it all the way through the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. He follows him, and he's there for the resurrection as well. And so the Lord is looking at Nathaniel going, man, you respond to truth when it's presented to you, and because of that, you're going to see greater things than these. But he doesn't tell him when. He just tells him you're going to see it. And someday he's going to see it when Jesus Christ comes to get his kingdom. Look at Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter 9. Again, different than the rapture of the church. I hope I'm making that very, very clear. Uh, Luke chapter 9, look if you would at verse number uh, 26. Luke chapter 9, verse 26. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the what? So every time you're reading about the second coming, you're reading about the angels coming with them, the angels coming with them, the angels coming with them. Uh, look, if you would, at uh, Mark chapter number 8. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And then we'll go to Acts chapter 1 to show you one more place. Mark chapter 8. So th- this whole idea of the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, what is he talking about? Uh, what he's talking about is when he comes back to establish his kingdom, Nathaniel's going to be there to see it. Now, Nathaniel won't be the only one. You'll be there to see it as well. Thank God for that. Amen. You'll come with him. Uh, but, but, but what he's saying is this. The context. Remember the statement that Jesus makes about Nathaniel. An Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. So remember, we were in all the references last week about the fig tree in Israel and Nathaniel. Nathaniel's a picture of the remnant of Israel that believes on their Messiah when the majority does not. All right. Uh, look at uh, Mark chapter 8, verse number uh, 38. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the what? All right. Look at Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. And wouldn't you know it that when Jesus Christ goes up, there's some angels there. And look at what they say about his disappearance up into heaven. Uh, and, and I don't mean to be offensive when I say this, but um, I want you to understand this. My background before I became a born-again believer was I, I was born and, and somewhat semi-raised Catholic. Uh, some of the best people I know in the world are Catholic people, and I mean that sincerely. I'll be honest with you. Some of those people live better than some of you Baptists do. <laughs> amen, amen. That was real quiet. Amen, amen, amen. All right. It's the reality. Of, of, it's just the truth, all right? But you don't get saved because you're a Baptist, and you don't get saved because you're a Catholic, all right? Uh, Just because you're born in a garage, it doesn't make you a Ford. Just because you're born in a Catholic or Christian family doesn't make you Christian. And so the way that I was raised was kind of like, you know, the idea that if if I'm raised in this Christian, uh, uh, so to speak, or Catholic home, then I am saved already. That's not biblical. Uh, Having said that, one of the things that the Catholic Church teaches is that Mary ascended up into heaven just like Jesus Christ. You're not going to find that in your Bible. Now, the reason why it's dangerous to start teaching things as doctrine that aren't in your Bible is because I could say, you know, Peter shot his mother-in-law with a forty-five, and you go, that's not in the Bible. And I could say, so what? 
So you have to, you have to draw a line with what does this... Sola Scriptura. That was the Latin saying, right, from the Reformation, only the Scriptures. What does the Bible say? All right, now Jesus, we know that he does ascend up into heaven. Paul talks about it, Ephesians chapter 4. He that ascended was he that first descended the lower parts of the earth. Uh, Acts talks about it. John talks about it. Look at Acts chapter 1, and uh, look, if you would, at verse number 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld... He was taken up. Now, I don't know about you guys. This is kind of how I envision it. He's talking to them, like having a normal conversation. And he's saying, they're like, will thou restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he goes, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. And as he's talking, they're just kind of watching. I mean, that's how I see it going on. Because it says there, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. It's like he's talking and he's going up. Be like, Lord, we can't hear you. I'm yelling as loud as I, I mean, I don't know, but I, I can just envision that interaction where they're there and he's just kind of floating up. Now, as he goes up, look what it says in verse nine, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight, a cloud, underline that, that's important. And while they looked steadfastly toward what? Heaven, the heavens opened up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This, this, this is the key part. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you in heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. All right, so, so you have the heavens opening and him going up, and who's there talking to those people? Angels. And so when he comes back, just like the same way he went up, listen, he went up from the Mount of Olives. Guess where he's going to come back? Right down that mountain. And Zechariah talks about that. He's going to split that thing in two as he makes his path into Jerusalem. That's what the Bible calls the path of the second coming when you study that thing out. And so he says this, the same way I went up, as you saw me go up into heaven, the heavens opened up, they received me. And who was there to talk to you? Angels. When I come down, guess who's going to be with me? Angels. And so when the Lord tells Nathaniel that he'll see greater things than these, go back to John chapter 2, and he talks about those angels uh, that is what he's referring to, the second coming, the establishment of the kingdom. Does it not make sense? Because again, if you look back at verse number uh, 49, look at the profession that Nathaniel makes. He calls him the king of Israel. So does it not make sense that the response that Jesus gives him is in light of the king receiving his kingdom? All right, look at John chapter 2, John chapter 2. And we'll read uh, verse number one here. It says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and uh, the mother of Jesus was there. Boy, this is a loaded uh, subject, but uh, let me start with this thought, and it's this. All right? Typology. You say, what is that? Well, for example, uh, let me use the ark. Everybody remember the story of Noah and the ark? Remember that? All right, so, so that's a simple one. Now, every, uh, applica- every verse or passage in your Bible has a couple of different applications to it. You have a historical application. This is what happened in the passage. And then you also have a spiritual application or a devotional application. And you have a doctrinal one. So let's take the ark, all right? The ark, historically, there was a man named Noah, and he built this ark. And the floods came and destroyed the earth. We can agree on that, right? Fair? All right. Can we agree on that? You guys are real quiet this morning. All right. Don't, don't, don't go real silent. I know you're Baptist, but you can be lively. It's okay. You can say amen. You can be alive. All right. And then there's the 
devotional or practical side of things. You know what the practical side of things is? If you read Hebrews chapter 11, here's what it is. Uh, Noah was moved, by f- mo- with, moved with fear, and by faith he did this. What did he do? He built the ark. All right, so by faith, Noah did something that no one else had ever done before, and he did it when no one else was on his side, and everybody made fun of him. He stood alone. So you know what I see here? I see great faith in Noah's life from that ark. It's a practical application of that passage. The historical application is there was a man named Noah that built an ark, and you know the story. Then the doctrinal application is this, all right? If you want to be saved from the great tribulation that's coming, all right, you know what that is? The flood that came and wiped out the whole earth. If you want to be saved from the, the, the wrath of God that is to come, all right, which the Bible calls the great tribulation, you know how you can be saved from that? You can get inside the ark. You say, who's that? Jesus Christ. So that would be the doctrinal. These are the three ways to apply scripture. Well, when you look at this and say the ark is a type or a picture or a symbol of Jesus Christ, all right, what you're saying is that it, it typifies. It shows us something in the future. This is not really the substance. The meat of this message is not just a wooden box. It's what the wooden box represents. Does that make sense? And so it represents getting in Christ. If you're in Christ, guess what? When you got saved, you could not lose your salvation. Isn't that a blessing? Because if you could, you would have lost it. Can I get a witness? I can't get a witness from the teenagers. I can't get one from anybody. Come on, guys. All right? So if you could have lost it, you would have lost it. Now, now think about this. When you got saved, what did God do? He shut the door of the ark. You didn't shut the door of the ark. Do you remember that in the story in Genesis? You know what he did? They got in the ark, and God is the one that shut the door. He didn't, let, he didn't have Noah shut it. God did it himself. You know, that's a picture of when you get saved, God seals you and that thing doesn't come open until God's ready for you to get out. When you got saved, God put the spirit of God inside of you. And until the day of redemption, until the rapture, all right, you are sealed until that day. That's what I mean by typology or the ark is a type of Jesus Christ. So there are things in the Bible that are pictures of things or types or symbols of things and you ought to pay attention to that now the danger is this you don't want to build doctrine based on typology you base typology off of doctrine i did not just teach you about the ark being a picture of jesus christ because i just came up with that i studied the bible and the bible shows us the great tribulation comes after the rapture of the church and therefore i can see the picture of the ark does that make sense you don't want to reverse the two. You don't want to get so far into typology that you start teaching doctrine based on typology, but rather the other way around. The foundation is doctrine. Uh, hold your hand. Go to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's one of the Timothys. I always get those things confused. Sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look, if you would, at verse number 16. I've heard churches say we don't... As a matter of fact... Uh, go to the average church's website and try to find out what they believe. Anymore, now 10 years ago, you could find it. Anymore, here's what they say. We love people, we love Jesus, come as you are. Now now look, I'm for that. I want to love Jesus. I want to love people, and I believe you ought to come as you are. I think you ought to leave differently than you came, but I think you ought to come as you are. Nothing wrong with that. All right, but, but the point is this. You, doctrine, it matters. If you don't know what you believe from the Bible, you're going to be all kinds of messed up in your practical life. 
That's why some people live Christian lives like this, because they have not settled once and for all that this book is their authority and that what it says lays the foundation for their life. That's why doctrine matters. Uh, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what's the first thing in that list? Doctrine. doctrine. All right. So, so you have to get a hold of that. If you don't know what your doctrine is, that's why I said the average church's website, you can't find out what they believe anywhere. No one really knows. You kind of have to go and try it out for like six months before you know what they really believe. And it shouldn't be that way. I was talking to someone that uh, was going to a church for about two, no, maybe three years, and they wanted their kids to get baptized. When their kids went to the baptismal class, they go, they teach this here? They were there for three years. You say, how does that happen? They don't teach doctrine in church. You got to go to a special class to get that. It's like, shh, come on behind the, it's like a speakeasy. You know what I'm talking about? Like, shh, come over here. Let's talk doctrine. Like, no, we should all know what the Bible says. All right. It should be out in the open. But, but I want you to get this in regards to typology. All right. The Bible says one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. You guys ever read that in second Peter? All right. Well, here's the cross of Calvary. And you know where we're at? We're at about two days, all right? You go, well, we're in the year 2022, and yeah, yeah, okay, we don't know what the, the calendar's all messed up. You go into the Gregorian calendar versus this calendar versus that. We don't know where we're really at. Let's just say that we're about two days into it. Is that fair? You say, what happens? Well, you've got the church, and that, after that, you've got the rapture, and after that, you've got the great tribulation. You say, what, what is that third day? You say, what is that? From the cross what would that third day be? It would be the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And you know what that is? That's a thousand years of Jesus Christ reigning on the earth. You go, are you one of those crazy people that believe that Jesus Christ is literally going to put a kingdom on this earth? Absolutely. Yes, I am. Because that's what the Bible teaches. And so a thousand years of Jesus Christ reigning on the earth. Do you know what's going to kick off that entire event? You say, well, there's going to be a battle. The battle of Armageddon. Yeah, but you know, what it, you know what he says about this thing? He calls this thing, after that battle, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So after two days, on that third day, the event gets kicked off with the marriage supper, supper of the Lamb here on this earth. The wedding ceremony takes place up there where the bride gets herself ready to meet her bridegroom. All right, that's called the judgment seat of Christ. Now, if you don't know where we're at right now, and you're like, I have no idea what's going on, well, you, stick around for a while. We'll, get, we'll teach you, all right? But, but that's what's going on up in heaven. You've got the judgment seat of Christ going on up there for the, for the church while Israel is getting ready for her. See, the church is getting ready for her bridegroom. Israel's getting ready to meet their Messiah, all right, going through the tribulation, all right? But then when he comes back to establish his kingdom, what's the first thing that happens? Well, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb. You say, why does that matter? Uh, look at John chapter 2 and look at verse 1. And the what day? Third day. Why is that there? Do you know scholars even argue about, why, uh, about whether it should say third day or fourth day based on wording from chapter 2? And the wording in chapter 2 is not messed up. It's completely on track. One, uh, one of the days that, where it says the next day is not referring to the next day after Jesus was baptized, but the next day after the Levites and priests had sent people to inquire to John the Baptist. I know I'm flying really fast right now. I apologize. But I want you to understand that the third day is mentioned there for a reason. Question, why does God put those days in there? Uh, let me give you a, a, another example. Let's look at Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17. Matthew 17. 
Am I making any sense to where I sound like the ramblings of a crazy man? Some of you are like, well, the second one. <laughs> Matthew chapter 17. And look what it says here uh, in verse number 1. All right, you say, what is this? This is the Mount of Transfiguration. And in the Mount of Transfiguration, you say, what happens? Well, in the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus Christ shows up as he will in the second coming, in his glory. That's why it's called the Mount of Transfiguration, because he looked differently up there than he did down with the rest of them. Can I remind you that when Moses went up on top of the mountain, when he came down from that mountain, what did he have to do? He had to cover his face. Why? The glory was shining through his face, the glory of God. It's a great picture of this. If you're walking with God, you know what the world's going to try to do? Can you please put a face mask on? I'm not talking about one of these. I'm not just cover the whole thing because we don't like all the Jesus that's shining out of you, right? That's kind of what they did with Moses. Put a veil on. We can't even look at you, right? And and so uh, uh, what you have here is you have Jesus Christ going up on top of this mountain, and it's a picture of something. Uh, Look, if you would, at verse 1. And I want you just to notice the the, the timing, if you will. After how many days? All right, go to Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter number 9. So it's after six days. Look at Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter 9, look if you would, at verse number 28. And it came to pass, about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and J- John and James and went up into a mountain to pray, and so on and so forth. He's talking about Moses and Elijah appearing in their glory, verse 30 and 31. This Luke 9 is a parallel passage to Matthew 17. One place says after six, one place says about eight. What would you make that? seven. All right. So watch this. If you go back to creation, all right, we'll get rid of this. All right. You go back to creation. Now, don't, don't, don't worry what uh, modern day scientists will call you for believing that, that the earth is not millions and millions and billions of years old. Uh, and, and by the way, I have no problem saying that whatsoever. Um, a matter of fact, I think it's comical that Christians are scared of what people out in the world think of them when you got a book that's always on the money. I mean, the God of creation wrote that book. You understand that, right? Uh, one time someone said, well, couldn't God have used evolution to create things? I said, yeah, if you wanted to, but he didn't. Because he said he did this. Do you understand? He didn't choose that. He created it, and he told us when he did it. And here's what's interesting. All right? Here's Jesus Christ. You know, you've got, if you run the chronologies from Adam all the way to Christ, there's a guy named Archbishop Usher that did this. And if you take all the verses and all the passages that talk about so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so lived 500 years, the ones that you want to skip when no one's looking, come on, let's be honest. We do that sometimes, right? And, <laughs> and so it's like, well, I got three chapters of names I can't pronounce and dates I don't care about, so I'm going to skip this, right? That's what we do sometimes. But if you run all those references, what you find out is there's about 4,000 years from Adam to Christ. You know what you got? One, two, three, four days. One day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And then you've got two days for the church, and then the rapture takes place, great tribulation and all that. And then what happens when Jesus Christ comes back to establish his kingdom? You've got a 1,000-year period of peace on earth. Do you remember what the Sabbath day was in the Old Testament? It was a day of what? Bingo. Why do you think that was? Over in Colossians, it says the Sabbath was a shadow of things to come. 
So one day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So guess what? Three days, all right, from the cross, all right, on that third day. Boy, isn't it interesting how important things happen on the third day? Amen. All right, three days and three nights, and the Son of Man, uh, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, comes up from the grave. On that third day from the cross, you say, what happens? Well, you've got a day of rest. You've got a thousand years of peace on earth. The world's trying to get peace on earth right now, and it's about to explode, man. You've got energy crisis, uh, uh, man-made food shortages. You've got you know, political unrest. You've got war over in the east. You've got Palestine and Israel going at each other. You've got everything in place for the thing just to blow up like a big tinderbox until someone shows up and goes, I've got the answers. I can bring world peace. And they're going to listen to that guy for three and a half years. And man, all hell's going to break loose. And it's going to be too late. And it'll be the Antichrist himself. And then after he has his time for his show on the earth, Jesus Christ comes back and wipes all the armies of the Antichrist out. And for a thousand years, you know what you got? You've got peace on earth, man. You've got an entire, everything the world's ever wanted, you got it right there. You know what's funny about that? <laughs> after a thousand years of peace on earth, you know what man does? He rebels one last time. Isn't that crazy? You go, well, I just, if God, if, why did God make it this way? Because he gave you free will. We're going to talk about that in the morning message, but if you've got free will, you can mess things up if you're not in a glorified body. I'm glad when I'm there, I'm going to be in a glorified body, and I can't mess anything up. Amen. I'll come back with them to help them establish that kingdom. But on that third day, you say, what happens? The marriage supper of the Lamb. You say, why does that matter? Well, I'll go back to John chapter 2. This is a picture of something. John chapter 2, because this is the... Re- revealing or the revelation, if you will, of the ministry of Jesus Christ. All right? Just like Jesus Christ is going to reveal himself from heaven when he comes back on that third day, if you will. All right? Jesus shows up on this third day. And on this day, you know what he does? He, this is the beginning or the commencement of his public ministry. And it's kicked off with a miracle, him doing something that no one else can do. You say, well, what happens when he comes back? He does something that no one else could do. A thousand years of peace on the earth. That's a miracle right there. How about one year of peace? You guys okay with that? One year of no war. One year of no... I mean, guys, think about that. Think about crime being obliterated. <laughs> Your job's out, man. You don't need to, we don't need you anymore, amen? All right? There's no police in the millennium. They're gone. They don't need them. All right? You say, why? Because God takes care of that. He'll rule the world with the rod of iron. All right, this is a miracle, a thousand years of peace. Well, when the Lord shows up at this wedding on that third day, it's a picture of something. He does something that nobody else can do. All right, and he brings them something that nobody else can bring them. All right, uh, let let me show you something. Uh, Look down, if you would, at verse uh, number three. The Bible says that they wanted wine. I don't have time to get into all of this right now, but I'm going to move forward. And uh, we're going to at least, at least start to dip our toes in the water on the subject. Uh, I've, I've gone to rescue missions. I've talked to people on the street. I've talked to people out in public. And, you know, they, you talk to them about certain things, and especially if they're struggling with certain addictions, they'll say things like, Jesus turned the water into wine. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah. All right, he did. The question is, what was it? <laughs> yeah, it was. And we're going to show you what that is because... There is a difference in your Bible. If you don't know this, we'll show you not next week because I will be in Mexico on a mission trip, but the one after that will show you the difference between old wine and new wine. Uh, let me give you this verse real quick, though. Look at Isaiah 65, and we'll call it a day. Isaiah 65. Because 
if you don't get a hold of this, what you'll end up teaching is that Jesus went to this place and said, let's get lit, amen? And that is not what your Savior did, all right? Uh, people, listen, uh, there's, this is the old saying. In the beginning, God made man in his image. And ever since then, man has been trying to return the favor. I, in other words, I want to bring God down to my level instead of I want to be brought up to his. Look at Isaiah 65 and look, if you would, at verse number 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the, underline it, new wine, as the new wine is found in the cluster, that's cluster of grapes, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so on and so forth. I want you to see the Bible does delineate between new wine and old wine. Uh, look, if you would, at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. New wine and old wine, they are different. They are not the same. Deuteronomy 32, and look, if you would, at verse number 30. Deuteronomy 32, how should, verse 30, how should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, except their rock had sold them, and the Lord had shut them up? For their rock is not as our rock, all right? That's, that's an interesting verse there, because the rock is Jesus Christ. It's not Peter or anybody else. Even our enemies themselves being judges, for their vine is of the vine of Sodom, and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. You say, why is that? One more place, and I said one more place. I, yesterday, Brother Caleb uh, Hewling had a t-shirt on, and his church gave it to him as a gift, and it said one more verse, dash Caleb Hewling. I think I should get one like that, too. We're om- Mine would say, we're almost done, dash Pastor Adrian. Uh, look at Proverbs 23, one last, the, the last, last one, okay? The last, last one. Proverbs 23, Proverbs 23, there's a warning here. We'll look at this again next, uh, next time we look at this. Proverbs 23, if all wine is the same, then you've got a problem. Right. Yeah. Uh, because look at Proverbs 23, there's a pretty strong warning given here. Look at verse 29. Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek, what's the next two words? Mixed wine. You know what mixed wine is? Something that's been fermented. Do you know what the fermenting pro- fermentation process does? It releases certain gases, and it moves like this. You ever watch it? Scientifically. You want to talk science? Let's talk science. It goes like this. All right, well, look down, if you would, at verse number 31. Look not upon the, thou upon the wine when it is red. Don't even look at it. If, if he's telling you not to look at it, and then Jesus turns it into that very thing, Jesus committed a sin. Unless there's a difference between old wine and new wine. Now, look at the end of this at verse, I'll just stop in verse 32. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Look, if this is in fact just all the same, it's just wine, there's no difference, then your Savior did something he shouldn't do. Because the very one that inspired the words that you shouldn't look at it shows up and turns the water into wine. So we're going to look at what the difference between old wine and new wine is. I don't, I won't go any further than this. You don't have to raise your hand, but if you've ever had trouble with what happens when you bring things into your body that can take over your body? You know what I'm talking about. And it's not a good thing. And the Lord would not allow that in the lives of these people. And I know some of you are kind of like, oh, preacher, I liked you up until right now. <laughs> like, what about the whole moderation thing? Isn't that okay? We'll talk about that the next time. If you got the guts to show up next time, we'll talk about it. How about that? <laughs> all right, let's all stand. We'll be dismissing a word of prayer. Uh, Brother James, ask God's blessing. We just learned, if you would.